Welcome to You Do What? with Chris Ansoff. Have you ever wondered what kind of jobs or careers are out there? Or have you met individuals that have like really interesting jobs and you wonder how they ended up with that job or that career? Well, in this podcast, I'm going to interview folks and find out what their current career or job is and then find out how they got there. So let's meet Jack. What do you do now? Hey, Chris. I am a research scientist at a privately owned artificial intelligence research lab that works for the United States government. Wow. And how did you end up in that position? So completely accidentally, um, in all honesty. I'm not somebody who went to high school and said, I'm going to become a scientist. And certainly AI specifically, that wasn't on my radar in high school, what I was coming out of high school and into college, I was your typical like English. I was an English major in college, believe it or not, who okay. took a lot of computer science classes, um, as well as being an honorary puppet major and doing a bunch of other stuff. What I f- kind of figured out along the way is that I'm the kind of person who just likes to make stuff. And so whether I was doing like performance poetry or building puppets or working on computer stuff, it's kind of all the same. It all kind of, for me, kind of blurs. And so what happened was I got out of college, went off and had a few weird side jobs, but ended up out in San Francisco as a programmer and decided that what I really loved was the user interface and the part of software development Um, There's this real challenge of not only making the software work, but making it so that people could actually get their work done using it. And that's so true. Yeah. And we've all worked with software that we just think that whoever built this hates me. (laughs) They don't even know me, but they they must hate me because they made it so painful to use. But reality is, um, and this guy, Alan Cooper, had this great phrase that, you know, it's the inmates are running the asylum. We have engineers who are building software for themselves, even though they're not the ones using it. So I kind of fell in love with that part of the problem and realized that I just wasn't as good at solving that problem as I wanted to be. And so I ended up going back to school to get a master's in human computer interaction at Carnegie Mellon University at their HCI Institute. So my plan at that point had been, hey, I'm this cool, clever software developer out in San Diego, it's going to be San Francisco, but I want to be better at what I currently do. So I'm going to go get training and then I'm going to come back to San Francisco and just do what I'm doing now, but be better. That's not what happened, right? Because what happened was I'm at Carnegie Mellon, which is a world-class research institute. I'm hanging out with my faculty um, who are all like top researchers in their field. I actually have the honor of being in one of Herb Simon's classes. Herb Simon was a Nobel Prize winning psychologist. So like, you know, when you're out of place like Carnegie Mellon, this stuff rubs off on you. Um, I didn't stay to get a PhD, even though I was seriously considering it because I had just gotten married and I needed to go out and get a job. But so I got recruited out of Carnegie Mellon by this little company up in Ann Arbor, Michigan called Soar Technology, which is where I work today, 18 years later. They're an artificial intelligence company that was a spinoff of one of the University of Michigan AI labs. And they really wanted somebody who was who could build software, 
who understood human computer, human computer interaction and who could try to make AI software not so annoying and weird. I mean, really, that was my job. They're like, we have a lot of smart people, but they all make the same mistakes that AI, that like software engineers make. We want somebody here who's going to help put a face on it and, and, you know, help people understand it. Clearly, I'm terrible at it because 18 years later, I'm still trying to solve the same problem, right? Which is how do you make all this stuff weird? And I, I'm joking, like we, you know, but it's, it's still, it's a very hard, hard problem. And so I kind of got there as a designer. I was trained to be a software designer and, you know, we're a research company. We go after research contracts and I figured out really quickly that I could come up with bizarre ideas just as well as any of the other, <laughs> any, the, any of the people with PhDs have. And I could convince the government to fund them and I could execute the projects. And now 18 years later, um, I'm a principal investigator who brings in a lot of research contracts and get to run really cool research programs such as um, some work I was just doing for the Air Force not too long ago where I was looking at how to develop software that would explain a UAV's behavior, excuse me, an unmanned aerial vehicle, say you have a drone flying around and it does something unexpected because it's in a very complicated environment. Why? Why is it doing that? And so these are the kinds of problems that I get to, to deal with. Um, and so I've had a great fun doing it. But yeah, this was never quite a plan. It's just kind of where where I ended up along the way. But it's the best job in the world. Okay. Well, I was going to say, I guess that, that would seem to indicate you enjoy your job. Um, oh, yeah. What aspects do you like and what do you don't like about what you do? So what I like about it is I get paid to get up in the morning, go to work, and try to solve problems that no one else is even thinking about yet. Mm -hmm. um, it's different than academic research. Academic, re if I was working in a lab at a university doing kind of classic university research, I'd be pay being paid to focus on a topic so small and so specific that you can, like, it's easy to measure and make progress, but it's right. really, really, really narrow. I'm getting paid to do something very similar, which is try to solve a problem while pushing the state of the art forward. It kind of cracks open a whole wide set of challenging problems that nobody's really dealing with, even at the academic level. So I just get to come up with crazy ideas and then can convince people that they're worth funding. And then I get to go do them. So I get to, not only get to, I get to play in a sandbox, I get to build my own sandbox to go play in. Uh, it's a lot of fun. But is there anything you don't like about it? <clears throat> um, I think that, at the moment, I struggle with one of the problems that a lot of people at this point in their career struggle with, which is um, as you kind of go up in skill and you go up kind of in, in responsibility, I spend more of my time as a manager than I do playing in the sandbox. I kind of stand around and help other I'm, people play in the sandbox for me, <laughs> which is awesome and on good days i kind of say hey i'm like the conductor of an orchestra i don't get to be the violin player anymore but i get to play the whole orchestra like on good days it kind of feels that way and on other days i'm like but but i want to be the violin player you know so it's, so i, I kind of wrestle i wrestle with that but i think that's i mean otherwise it, it's it's great um as i said just the, the ability to kind of and reinvent myself and come up with new ideas and tackle problems that no one else is tackling um, is just awesome. So 
What aspects of your skills and personality you think are really the big pluses for this? Or someone would, you know, trying to do this kind of job should have. So I would say it's probably a lot of, a lot of different things, but two things kind of jump out at me. Um, one of them is you have to be really impatient in a, and you have to be, you can't sit around and say that I'm just going to wait for something to happen. I'm going to get there eventually. Like it takes a certain amount of impatience. I have to be able to sit there and go, no, no, I need that now. I'm going to stay up until two o'clock in the morning, or I'm going to push everybody on my office. I'm going to pull up, hit my laptop or hit my whiteboard and burn through something and try to figure something out because like, I'm just too impatient to sit around and wait. Like if you sit around and wait, for things to happen, they just don't. Like at some level, you don't need to know what you're doing. You just need to get out and push and just start chewing at stuff. And so that's like a big, I think I just mixed about seven metaphors like in one <laughs> sentence there. But, but if, if you get what I mean, like there's just a certain amount of of creative impatience that, that you need. Um, and the other half is, I'll pick up the word creative again, is that you have to be, relentlessly creative, right? Hmm. You can't say that I had a good idea three years ago. Like, dude, what'd you do for me yesterday? Right? Like you gotta be ready to, you gotta be always kind of saying, okay, well, this is the thing that I came up with before and that that's cool. And I could do more work with that if I have a chance, but what's the next piece of work and what's the mm-hmm. next piece what's the qu- next question and it's not enough you can't just say well i'm just going to keep doing that thing it's like well what's the next what's next what's next like where's the next idea what's the next cool thing um so like one of the things that you know we we do it all the time is we'll say hey well here's this this research funder that we're working with he or she has this particular problem and be like okay 10 minutes what's the thing how do we go after this? How do we help them solve that? What's the new? And, you know, so you got to have like five or six cool ideas in your back pocket that you haven't worked on yet that maybe one of them will work or, hey, there's this new technique that's emerging from this other lab or here's this thing that I think we can do. Bum, 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 bum. How do you, like, you always have to be riding that edge of where to go. And, and so that kind of with that kind of marries with that impatience of like, I want to go do it myself. Like I, right. I, I, I can go tear into it. And I guess cool. maybe there's a third that kind of goes along with both of those, which is you can't be afraid to go deep, mm. right? Like, like I, I have a, one of my best friends um, way back when we were in college invited me to go kite flying with her at one point. For her, going kite flying was we go to a drugstore and we buy a couple of cheap plastic kites and we go to a field someplace where we have room and we fly it. Dude, that's freaking boring. Like I spent like two weeks before we went kite flying researching how, what, are all, what are all the different kites? How do you fly them? What kites work under what air, kind of air condition? You know, I got a couple of ma- – found a couple of magazines, a couple of – I mean, by the time we got there, like I had not flown a kite since I was like in kindergarten. And like – I'm like, oh, that's cool. We're going to do that. We'll do this. And she's like, what the hell? Like, like I just said, we're going to go fly. You know, but like, it's that kind of like, 
wanting to know all the details and wanting right. to stitch stuff together that is really important. Okay. Um, those are like, you, you, by the way, you can see like I, I don't start vibrating if I talk. Right, about the stuff. energy like, level in you is is so high. It's so cool. Yeah, it, it, it's it's that kind. At least for me, and let me tell you, like I'm someone who at this point in my career hires scientists. Um, this is the kind of stuff that I, I look for. Right, is I don't want someone to come and tell me. Um, it, here, here's here's a good way to a good way to put this. So I had a professor back at Carnegie Mellon who told me this this great story about how he had tried to go get a job working for Disney Imagineering, and he showed up for this job interview like right out of right out of his university, and they're like, "Cool, man, you're here. Like, this Disney, what can you do?" He's like, "Oh, well, you know, I studied this and I studied this." They said, "I don't care. That's not what I asked you. What can you do?" Oh well, you know, I'm an expert at this, and I develop. I didn't ask you that. What can you do? He didn't get the job. Hmm. He went back later, having figured out what they were trying to ask him, and did get the job. Oh wow! And that's that's because he's like, oh well, given everything I know, here's what I, I can go, I can build this. I can design. They're like, that's what we're looking for, right? Hmm. And so you know, when I'm when I'm hiring people, this is the kind of the questions that I'm asking. Is like, okay, what are you losing sleep about? What do you have to, what's broken that you have to go fix? Like, where's the thing that you are trying to accomplish? You know? Cool. I don't right. care if they ever make, I don't care if they make it up on the spot. Right. It's, all, it's okay. It's, it's, it, in fact, it's sometimes better if they're like, well, uh, you know, I, I didn't really have anything that I wanted to fix until I got here. But now that you mention it, <laughs> I'm fine with that, right? Because it's that being able to kind of jump into a new problem and, and go with it that's okay. really, really important. Cool. Well, one final question, yeah. and I know this. I happen to know you happen to have a child who's a senior heading off to university. But if you were to like approach someone who's heading off to university, you know, coming out of, of high school, what sort of things have you learned on your career path that you would impart to people coming out into the workforce? So ideas. So I, you lost me there. So advice for someone going into college, or somebody going from college out into the workforce. Just someone who's whatever. like, you know, heading off into their initial career. Of, well, <clears throat> college, or maybe they're not going to college. They're going to do a job. But what sort of things in going okay. out in, in into the workforce? Sure. Learned on so your. Here's a, so here, here's something that that I learned that might be. The, my, the, here's what here's one thing that I can offer. People get very worried about taking risks. You know, if mm -hmm. I do the wrong program or I take the wrong job, like is that gonna gonna mess me up? And it's a, and I don't want to say that's not a legitimate worry. It's really a legitimate worry. Um, we can waste a lot of time, but there's this the way that I think about this and the way I've heard other people kind of talk about this is you have to understand that if you pick a job or a path or a class or a, whatever, that in a couple of years is going to open you up to other things that is going to help you grow. It doesn't actually matter whether you like it mm. in the long run, right? So you can, apply what you're learning to the next things that you go do. And so picking careers, picking jobs, picking courses, whatever it is that helps open you up to future opportunities 
is getting you where you want to go, even if you don't know where you want to go yet. Like at no point along the way did I say, hey, I want to be this research scientist doing this work. It was like, well, you know, if I study this sort of stuff, that'll open me up to stuff. If I take these kinds of side adventures, it'll, I'll learn stuff. And I, you just kind of look for it, say, okay, now that I've opened myself up to this next set of stuff, now what do I pick? And just kind of keep that, going. Yeah. That is really that cool. Way. Yeah, I like that. At least for me, I, I'm sure there, there are some people out there that have been able to say, you know, here's the target and here's all the incremental steps that I need to go through. It can really follow a plan like that. I, I don't know how to do that. I've never been able to do that. But, you know, now that I've, at this point in my career, I look back and I'm like, boy, it seems like I made a lot of really good decisions, <laughs> which is not really what happened. What really what happened was the good decisions were doing things that would open up more opportunities and then taking advantage of those opportunities as they come. So awesome. I think that would be the, if I was, was going to put one thing out there, I think that would be, well, that's a great that one. Would be the thing. That was a great one. Well, again, thank you so much for being on my podcast. This was awesome. I appreciate it. Sure. All right, Chris, anytime. Thank you for listening to You Do What? And as Mark Twain said, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. If you enjoyed this podcast, let your friends know about it. And drop us a line if you know someone you think would be really good to have interviewed for this podcast. And keep figuring out the why. Why?